I can make a very good income, very good life for myself doing the thing I love, which is building custom furniture for the people of my community. That's the voice of Harley Griffin, owner of Stone Mountain Projects. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Harley Griffin, owner of the Calgary, Alberta, Canada-based furniture company, Stone Mountain Projects. Since he was eight years old, Harley has been telling people he's going to build furniture, and he has kept focused on that goal through school, through apprenticeships, through trade jobs, into his early 20s when he started his own company. Now 26, Harley has immersed himself in the local and global furniture community and has used fresh takes on the age-old woodworking industry to help his company continue to grow. And now with a packed schedule, he's looking to take that next step into expanding his dreams into hiring employees. Follow along as we talk about having confidence with your clients, bending prices to real-world situations, being young in the trades, and much more. So let's get into it and hear about Harley's story in his own words. Since I was probably about eight, I've been telling my parents that I wanted to be a carpenter. I started out when I was really little, uh, playing with Lego, kind of building anything with my hands. My parents used to give me like old VCRs and stuff, and I'd take them apart, wouldn't be able to put them back together at all, and kind of make small gadgets, kind of use my imagination that way. My dad was a really handy guy, so he'd always fix stuff around the house, something like a light bulb or a light fixture need to be changed, if even some cabinets need to be built. He had a small shop, like a table saw, kind of all the the general tools that I kind of started out with was in his shop. And then my grandpa, when I'd go and see him, he'd always give me a bucket of rusty old bent nails and a hammer, and I'd straighten them out and he'd give me a, a bunch of lumber that he found. And I'd just kind of build stuff, build forts, build swords, just stuff with my hands. And that really kind of set me on a path to knowing what I wanted to do. And I think my parents told me that they asked me what they, what I wanted to be. And I didn't give like kind of the typical answer at that age it was like a firefighter or astronaut or rock star. I told them I wanted to be a carpenter and they said, okay. And not thinking much of it because I'm eight and kind of an eight-year-old mind, but that kind of started my, my trajectory towards that. So once I hit grade school and my junior high and high school both offered construction classes and I was right in there all the time whenever I could. And then when I was at home, I was reading books that my, my dad had or old wood magazines and trying to figure out tips and tricks and jigs and all these old things that I could 
just to expand my knowledge base. And through that, I would, I really gained more of a passion and it really put me on that path. And once I hit high school, pretty much I knew that I wanted to be a carpenter. So I set my sights on that. The construction classes that we did there kind of went everywhere. Like we built cabinets, we built small uh, projects, but in my grade 12 year, so my senior year, they also offered what was called a project management class. So for teachers and faculty around the school that needed stuff done for their offices or even their own personal projects, they would come to the shop. They would ask the teacher if they had anybody available that wasn't on a project. We'd be able to go out to the, the office or their wherever they needed us for cabinets or any of the projects. And we draw up a spec. And when I mean draw up a spec, we'd actually have to draw it on pieces of paper show it to our, our teacher. We'd have to come up with a price list, a product list. Uh, we'd have to give them a timeline and then we'd have to kind of run the, the client through it. So that really kind of gave me an early on version of like running like a small business, even though it was very small and like in the school, but it kind of opened my eyes to that. After that, after school, I finished high school on Friday and I started my carpentry apprenticeship on Monday. So no time off. And I really went through that the four years it is here in Canada, learning about carpentry, learning how to build stuff, learning mostly like the rough carpentry stuff. So learning how to build houses and frame in doors and put in windows and stuff. Alongside that, I was running kind of my side business, which is Stone Mountain Projects. And I would be doing anything under the sun, making pens on my lathe, doing small projects, basically anything that I could just add to my portfolio. And that really, really made me excited because I could for the first time out of high school, I was making money at the thing I love to do. And so went from doing carpentry all the way up until a couple of years ago. And I really wasn't happy anymore, just building houses and working out in the cold and working for someone else. So I decided to just, just quit that and go full tilt on my own business. And so that's what I did. I quit and no customers, no nothing, just went and grind every day making new clients, making new products, just trying to sell, get my name out there, sell my, uh, sell my business. I really quickly acquired a CNC because I knew that would kind of push my business further and self-taught on that. Didn't know anything about a CNC. So I had to learn the software, learn how to run it. And all while the, while doing that, still trying to run the business. And so I started putting my flyers up around town in any wood shop that I could, uh, lumber store, other wood shops that needed work, uh, trying to point them back towards me so that I could get just some of their business or some of the business from people that are just looking for custom CNC services. So I started doing that. And then along with that, I wanted to build tables. And one of my buddies in town here told me about these things called game tables which if basically it's a dining table with a sunken playing surface in the middle with like kind of a felt bottom. So when you're rolling dice or you have game pieces, they don't fall off the table. And that quickly became a niche that I fell into and started building in really just pushed ahead on that and really started to add my portfolio that way. Now building those tables full time, I build dining tables. I kind of, kind of build everything. I don't really say no to a lot of jobs uh, unless it's a small job that I don't think is worth my time. But if it's a big job or a job that I find really interesting, I really try to go after it uh, so I can kind of expand that portfolio and really 
uh, show the world what I can do. I picture it as a, a very funny situation where you're eight years old and you run out into the hallway and you you yell to your parents, I'm going to be a furniture maker. I'm going to be a carpenter. And then they they probably laugh, say, OK, just like all little kids say stuff. But you really believed it and you put in all the work necessary to get you from that dream to the reality of now being a successful business and following that timeline and putting in the work and and doing it. So it's always a journey starting your own furniture company, but you definitely laid the groundwork very early in your life to to make it happen. Why did you think that initially? What was the what was the drive that you had in the beginning, although you might not remember exactly why, but as the years went on, there had to have been something that that kept sustaining that passion that you had for building and making things. So what what was that that you were you were chasing? Uh, from a young age, like I always enjoyed building something from nothing, whether that be from pile of scrap wood that I found in the backyard or taking a part of VCR my parents gave me and trying to make a cool gadget or something, but just that kind of hand like involvement and just building something from nothing. So at the end of the day, you're like, Hey, yeah, I built that was kind of a driving factor. I think throughout my like um, childhood and adulthood. And even now, like, no, I know a lot of friends and stuff that are in business or they they're in offices all the time. And I always, I'm like, what do you guys do all day? Cause like, I know at the end of my day, I look at my bench and there's like, there's a cutting board or there's a table that's partly built or there's something physical that I've seen go from a pile of lumber, rough lumber and kind of be turned into something. And then that's always been just the passion. And my dad was in, my dad's in the trades. My dad's a heavy duty mechanic. And so he's always been a very handy guy, like I said, and seeing him use his hands, be able to fix whatever he wanted might've instilled something in me that's like, Hey, I can do this. I can build this. I can fix this. And that kind of carried me through. And then I started learning about the trades and seeing that this is a very viable option. A previous person that was in the trades with me had told me that the baby boomers, the people that are retiring ahead of us, like my parents and their parents that made up the bulk of the blue collar work, I'd say, but like the people that are out there building everything for us, they're starting to retire. They're getting up there in age and there isn't a lot of people behind them to kind of fill that gap. And so that mentor had told me, Hey, like if you get this, if you can build stuff with your hands, you can go out there and build things. You will never not be out of a job. Cause always, someone's always going to have their electrical to repair, repair, plumbing to fix a house to build stuff to put in your house. So that kind of really fired me up, really just kept me going through that knowing that if anything in the world happens, I always have this ticket to fall back on and I can always go back to building something if I ever wanted to go do something else. But right now I can make a very good income, very good life for myself. That's on my time doing the thing I love, which is building custom furniture for the people of my community. You said that when you quit your job, you felt this new freedom, this this ability to control your own destiny. And that's definitely a feeling that people get when they start their own company. But hand in hand with that feeling is the stress of all this freedom comes with 
you are your own boss. You do determine your own destiny. And if you fail, that's on you too. You don't have a company or a boss or or anything to fall back on. What drove you to not only want to go out on your own, but also think that you can succeed and know that you could do that? I never really knew that I could go work for myself. It was kind of later in life. Like I was, I had taken a couple courses that was about like your financial literacy and kind of how you can make money being your own boss and stuff. And it really sparked something in me that you can't depend on a company for the rest of your life. Because from my experience in larger companies, I've always been seen as just a number. You're kind of just a person that helps turn the gears of that company. And you're not really seen as a person that's like, okay, like this is our most valuable asset as with my own business. Yeah, it's my own business. If I fail, it's my fault because I didn't do what was needed. But if I just get let go, because it's like, it's your time to be let go. That didn't sit right with me. So going out on my own, I just wanted to take that opportunity because um, I don't know if I said it, but I'm, I'm only 26. So I didn't want to wait until I was 50 or 60 and kind of regret being like, you know what, I wish I went out on my own or I wish I did this differently. I'd rather take that chance now and find out that either yes, it does work or no, it doesn't. And then whatever way that happens, I can kind of get on it earlier than later. And I just never wanted to have to be responsible to somebody else other than my like other than my own desires and stuff. If I want to go build this project or I want to like focus on this certain aspect of my business, I can. I don't have to go and talk to a boss or go up the chain of command. I am the chain of command, so I can kind of stamp it as soon as I think it. And that just really pushed me to go that route. And you know what? I haven't looked back since because I can make those decisions. But like you said, there is all that stress that comes with it. You're no longer able just to be like, you know what? I can go into work, put in the day's work. And at the end of the day, I know I'm getting paid. If I don't go to work, I don't look for those customers. I don't complete projects. I don't get paid. And that is where that stress comes is if you don't find people to pay your bills, you then are essentially failing. But for my time going full time, the community around me and like my local community, as well as the international community has kind of opened their arms up to me and flooded me with more business than I can really handle, which is very grateful, never complaining about that because it's it's honestly the most amazing thing that I get to wake up every morning and do what I love. When you were in school and also when you were in your apprenticeship, you were not only learning the, the building parts of the industry, you were also learning the financial and the, the bookkeeping and the pricing, all of that at the same time. So you were really well-rounded once you decided to start your own company. You had a good grasp on what you needed to do. But as everybody knows, once you jump in, things change, the rules change, and it goes from a textbook to a reality. What's something that really stuck out to you that was different from when you were learning it in school to when you went out on your own and actually had to deal with it in the real world? Oh, different from learning to real world. You could probably throw a stone in a textbook and pretty much anything you've read is probably different in the real world because I'm still learning myself. So there's everything that I've learned in a textbook from how to build something to what to price something. Once you start talking to a client or you get into the real world, it's kind of a free for all. 
is my way that I've found out about it. It's never, it's never the same when you're learning it because you're in a controlled environment, you have all the variables, but once you get into that real world situation, like you said, the variables change pretty much all the time. Like you might be dealing with one customer that wants this, but then you take that to the next customer and they want something completely different. So you have to be, I think if I have learned anything, it's to be very adaptable and kind of light on your feet, being able to pivot from one thing to the next so that you're not stuck in your ways. Is like, no, nah, this is the only way we do this. This is the only way we do that. Sorry, I can't help you. But being able to be like, you know what, we can tweak this a little bit. Or we can kind of maneuver this around a little bit if you want, just so that we can work with you because then they understand and they see it's like, oh, this person wants to work with me and they're not just giving me a blank quote or they're, they didn't just give me like a blank statement there. They actually want to work with me. And yeah, I think that's something that I've learned working for myself anyways. When you started your own business, you were 22, 23. That is an age where people are getting their first jobs out of school and not necessarily being business owners and not necessarily being the head of a company, which you are. Yes, it's a small company. It's a one-person company, but you're the head of that company. When you're dealing with clients talking about pricing or talking about their designs or dealing with issues that come up, how were you able to maintain that professional demeanor and seem like the head of a company when you were the same age as most people are in their entry level jobs? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think a lot of it is just the confidence is that I've been building and I have such a passion for what I want to do. And I think that kind of comes across to the client when I'm explaining a project that we can be like, oh, we could do this. Or like, I think this would look really amazing in your home. Or I think this, this aspect, if we change this slightly and you kind of work with them and you show them that like confidence and that you're really into the job, that it kind of makes you seem more knowledgeable than you may be. Cause I like, I don't know everything. And so I've definitely said yes to jobs to get the job and then figure it out as I go. But the confidence that you have when you talk kind of puts them at ease. But and then at the same time, if you don't know something that could potentially be like detrimental, you have to let them know just to be honest with them be like, Hey, I don't know how to do this, or this is my first time doing this. I will figure it out. But if you want to work with me, we can kind of either work on the price or I can make this a portfolio piece so I can do it for a little bit less if they're wanting to trust you. But yeah, being a young face in kind of like what is typically like an older crowd is you really needed to make a name for yourself. So I always said yes to every job coming in at the beginning, whether that was big or small, so that when I did go to those bigger jobs, anytime if I had any problems on those smaller jobs, I kind of learned from those. And by the time I got to some bigger jobs, I had already seen what had happened or what could have happened. And I can kind of maneuver around those obstacles. But yeah, it's the confidence, but I also think it's the community as well, because this community, the woodworking community in general, or the building community, however you want to spin it, I find that they're very quick to help you if you need, if you have questions or you need something done. You can reach out on Instagram or any of the social channels that we all have and ask anybody that you admire, anybody that you follow, be like, hey, I have this, I'm doing this, or I saw that you did something similar. Would you mind if we hopped on a call or could you answer this quick question? And 
nine out of 10 times, you're probably going to get like a, Hey, yeah, for sure. Or, um, yeah, I'll send you an email of how I did this, or I ref I'll refer you to this person. So that's kind of a way that I've found if I don't know something is to ask the community or try and find someone that knows more than you that you can learn from. And then as well as that, is that confidence, like just having confidence in yourself, which I know is just easy to say and hard to kind of do sometimes, but even your own skills that you have that if you put this out there and you talk to them, like, you know what you're doing, that they'll listen to you and be like, yeah, you know what, we're going to go with you. And then the product that you deliver hopefully reinforces the confidence that you gave them and reinforces their like trust in you to build what you said you would. When you're starting out, yes, you, you might want to do some pieces for your portfolio and those might be discounted or you're still working out your pricing. But as your company develops, you can't keep mispricing things or really caving to what a client's budget is because if you do that, then you're going to be stressed all the time, not making the right amount of money and probably not making the amount of money that you need to sustain your company. You said that a lot of the, the book knowledge that you learned didn't really work in the real world. So what did work? What have you been doing for your pricing that has been working for you so far? Yeah. So to talk about pricing, the the first couple of years in business, I really didn't know a lot. Like I did learn a little bit while I was in school, but like I didn't get a business degree. I didn't know what accounting was. I didn't know what bookkeeping was. So one thing that I did learn was make sure you hire an accountant and a bookkeeper because come tax season, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to be in a whole heap of mess. So that's one thing you learn from that is hire an accountant and a bookkeeper. But for pricing anyways, I started to learn from those first couple years in business was you can't, like you said, you can't price to everyone's budget and you have to start to learn to say no. You've probably heard on this podcast a hundred times from a hundred different people is you have to learn how to say no. Everyone wants to say yes to every single job, but if that job doesn't make sense or it doesn't help you grow your business or you're not getting what you deserve for pay, then it's not really worth your time and they will find someone else that would be in their budget, but you have to learn what you can afford and what you can say no to. Uh, so I'm still learning a lot of my pricing and what works for me because what I learned in school isn't really working for me. What I have learned is I price for a specific client base, which for me is a higher end client base because they're the ones that are willing to pay for my time, my creativity, my experience. And they're the ones that want the really custom one-off pieces for their home that they can show off to their friends or that they can admire because they admire custom handmade furniture. So I've started to realize that, yes, I may price myself out of a lot of kind of the lower end jobs, but I would rather build one $10,000 table than 10 $1,000 tables, which it's hard to say no to when someone's like, hey, I need two of these tables, can you build them for this price? And I'm have to say, unfortunately, no, because I don't want to have to do get stuck down doing 10 tables when a big table comes in that's worth the same amount as all these little ones. So one thing I have learned is to start pricing for the client base that you want. So if that's the middle of the road, uh, some people want some high end stuff, some people want some low end stuff, or more affordable stuff, I should say. Then that's where you go. But for me, I, I found that the higher end market 
is where I want to focus. And that's really where I've been focusing my time and energy as of late and kind of into the future. That's where I'm, where I'm going. Was there something that happened in your, your business that made you want to go in that direction? Because we can sit here and we can, we can talk about it and, and say, you can say no to something and you want to price higher and you want to make more money on one thing rather than more things for less money. And that all makes sense logically, but until you actually put it into practice, people can't always relate to it. So was there something that happened in your business that you can pinpoint that was that moment of, oh, all the stuff that I'm I'm hearing a hundred times from so many other people actually is something that I should really do. Uh, I wouldn't say like maybe a specific project or moment, but it definitely was learning from the community. One guy in particular, who's a good buddy of mine, who also works in town here, who also does game tables uh, is Griffin from Wheatland Woodwork. He does amazing work and he really started to show me that it was like, you have to price for your time whether that be whatever price point it is. But if you don't price for that, then you're losing money. They're getting all the benefit, but you're just kind of struggling then. So he showed me his price list. He's like, this is what I price my tables at. This is exactly how I price it. If they don't like this price, then they won't buy it. But he said, one thing that stuck with me from him is that he said the higher end market, if they're willing to buy something, they're willing to spend good money on it. So as long as you're putting out a good product, they'll appreciate that. And they're willing to place that large sum down for those tables. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say it was like one particular thing, but it was when I started realizing that I am worth this amount of money and I started charging that amount for my tables and people started buying them. And when I say buying them, I mean like I filled up my whole entire year in one month last year that people are like, I like this table. They're willing to pay for that. My time and my craftsmanship, then it kind of clicked in me. It was like, I should just start doing this with all my projects. And if they don't want to pay that price, they can find someone else to build it because I know what I'm worth and I'm not going to take less than that. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And knowing your worth is a big thing that I talk about on this show. So yes, it makes sense. And whether you know it from the start and can put that out into your business or you have to learn that through the community or through pitfalls that happen in your business. However you learn it, that's that's something that you should be keeping in the back of your mind for any project and anything that you do. If I could just add on to that too is I also did a lot of local research on local markets and the stuff that I wanted to sell and seeing what people were kind of charging and seeing the quality that they were putting out and what people were buying and seeing where I could kind of either inflate my price so that I'd be making good money, but people are still willing to buy it or trying to compete with them on quality, showing that it's like these people are only using pine or they're just staining it to look like walnut as I'm using actual walnut. Um, so that like kind of differs me in that. Later in the business, I started taking some pricing classes from other people in the community just to see how they price it so that I kind of had more of a general idea and kind of pull things from each class that would allow me to price my work better. So that's just something else that I was doing with my pricing to help kind of improve it. 
community is obviously a big part of your day-to-day and your business and what you rely on. And that's great because having a community that you can fall back on to ask questions and to, to troubleshoot things with lets you move forward in your business so much faster than if you were reinventing the wheel each and every single time. But there's also that aspect of having a community and being friendly and on good terms with, but going after the same pool of people, going after the same clients. And there's a lot of work out there. But as you magnify further and further the client base that you want, you start to go toe to toe with some of the people in your community that you're friends with and you can still be friends with them, but at the same time, they are your competition. And you've talked about different businesses that are in your same area right there. And you're coming up in this and and you're, you're the new guy in this. So if you're being successful, you're coming in, you're taking jobs from people in the community that you admire and that you look up to and that might have helped you along in your process of, of getting to that place. How do you maintain the relationships with the other furniture builders, with your your peers when you're going from a student to now competition, balancing that community versus competition? in your business? Ooh, community versus competition. That's a, that's a good one, Ethan. Like you said, yeah, like kind of once you start niching down, you're starting to go toe to toe with the other makers in that niche. And you really have to find for me anyways, something that sets you apart from those, which you've probably heard it a ton is like, you need to, di- you need to differentiate yourself from the, the competition. Yeah. Ethan, that is a very difficult question to answer. Uh, I think it is just being kind of open and it's, you have to understand that the client wants what the client wants. So if the other furniture makers in the space that I'm in, if they're not giving the client what they need and they come to me, uh, that's kind of the client's request. If they're looking for something completely custom or they're looking for something special, or they really just enjoy my work. I know a lot of the people in the space, uh, at least in kind of my niche. And so if they're like, I came from so-and-so, I want your work though. I always reach out to the, the other makers. If I, if I do know them and being like, Hey, I just want to let you know that this guy's reaching out to me. Uh, I don't want to take anything from you, but I just want to let you know that they're reaching out to me about a quote and stuff. So we do kind of chat back, back and forth. And so I do try to keep on their good terms because you don't want to end up thinking or getting those furniture makers thinking that you're stealing their business or you're kind of sneaking in behind them. So I try to be open with everyone as much as I can about clients that are coming to me or ones that have mentioned their names and they're coming to me now because for whatever reason. So I think it's more of with the community, like dealing with the community and making sure that you're, you're open with the other makers as much as possible. Just so, and the honesty with them that if someone's coming to you for a reason or they want your work in particular, that you you can't be like, well, I'm not going to do it because so-and-so did it. So I think it's, just being honest and letting them know that they're they're coming to you. Very early on in your business, you bought a CNC machine because you knew that that was going to be the way that you could scale. You might not be able to put the investment in for 
an employee or two or three employees, but you could get a CNC machine. You could put that investment in and you could grow your business that way. For people who are a one-person shop and want to scale, they want to be able to put out more work. What would you say to those people who are thinking about getting a CNC machine or some type of shop automation? What has that done for your business that you don't think you would have been able to do on your own? That uh, That is also a great question, Ethan. The CNC, I think it was an absolute game changer for me, for my business, and for it to evolve to where it is today. I don't think I'd be nearly where I am today without it. I was completely new to CNC. So before I bought one, I had only ever seen the small like Shapokos and X-Carbs and just kind of the hobbyist ones where people were making just small stuff here and there. Uh, and then I watched Jonathan Katz Moses had an avid CNC. And if you are in the woodworking industry, you probably have heard of him. Uh, but he's a big business guy. And he had said, if you're going to get one, get a big one. And because once you have kind of a small one, as soon as you know how to use it, you're going to wish you had a bigger one. So I went out and I searched them and Avid at the time was the best investment for me. And I knew I could grow with it. So it's basically like giant Lego, Lego set. You can check them out. But basically I started out with a four by four CNC just so that I could get the machine in my shop and started working. And that took off so I could start doing personalizations, engravings. Um, I use it a lot for cutting out templates and parts for the rest of my projects. And so that four by four, like Jonathan Kath Moses said, once you have that, a small size, you're going to want bigger. And pretty much as soon as I figured out how to use it, I wanted something bigger. So the, I only had it for about a year and I upgraded it to a four by 10 machine. So that has really uh, improved my business. Like I said, from the beginning, I put my my flyer up with my CNC services in any shop available. And I made the investment in one of these larger machines that I did my research and I don't even, I think there's only a couple other people in town other than like a cabinet shop that has the same size CNC machine as I have. And it's exploded my business because people come from all around the city. They're like, Hey, can you cut this out? Or can you cut that out? Can you engrave this? Can you flatten this slab? Uh, and I get lots of those from the businesses I have uh, talked about. And they send me people just to get slabs flattened. And if you, if I didn't talk about it, I don't think it did. But my shop is just in my backyard. I bought a house a couple of years ago with the largest shop I could on the property. And it's only about 24 by 24. But I have a 4 by 10 machine in there and pretty much every other woodworking tool you'd need. But that CNC really exploded my business. But if you're thinking about getting one, um, even as just a hobby one, 100% do it. If you get the biggest one that you can afford and the biggest bed that you can afford, because like I said, you're going to want to go bigger and bigger once you have the size that you have. And you'll realize quickly with your business that you can do a lot more with it. You can kind of set it and forget it and go and work on something else. You're basically an employee that does exactly what it says it's supposed to do and you can run it as long as you want. Yeah, I really, really believe in it. And with the automation stuff, those small things, especially as a one-person shop, you can really explode your business and you don't have to hire another person if you don't want to. Or it gets to the point, like I have heard other people in the past where they hire five or six people because they're busy and they think that they need all these employees to get more work done. And then 
they're realizing that they're running out of work faster than they can supply it. And so they have to let them all go. And then you're back to yourself again. But with the CNC, you can kind of go with it. On your on your website, you have a meet the team and it's it's you, but you're showing yourself in all different roles in the company and people should definitely check it out. It's one of the the more funny about me websites that I've seen, but it also has a lot of truth in it because you are running all of those positions. You are all the hats of that business. You are on the cusp of trying to hire an employee. You're trying to build your business that way. The CNC laid enough groundwork that now you can hire an employee because you have enough business. As you get to the point where you are going to take on an employee, what's running through your mind? Why do you think that right now you're at the point where you could make that jump? And how are you going about looking to hire somebody? Yeah, like right now, it's getting to the point where like you said, most small businesses probably wear more hats than they probably need. And I'm getting to the point where the smaller tasks in my shop are taking my attention away from the larger kind of idea and the larger aspects of the project. So when I'm sitting there and I have to sand for four or five hours, that's four or five hours that I'm sanding. It's not four or five hours someone else I'm paying to sand that I can focus on other parts of the business. So it's getting to the point that I have the business and the clientele that wants, say, certain projects done a certain way or they want them on a certain timeline. And being a one-man shop, if I can't meet those expectations, I'm losing those jobs and that's ultimately hurting the growth of my business. So the CNC is great up to a certain point, but I can't have it running something on the CNC plus sanding plus all this stuff. So it'd be nice to have right now like another person, just a helper in the shop Uh, especially for like flipping my tables and stuff, they get to be quite heavy and trying to pack them in a crate or whatever by myself gets a little hairy every once in a while. And it'd be nice to have someone else in the shop that I can kind of rely on to be like, Hey, I just need you to sand today. Or I have these a couple smaller projects or these large orders that need to be fulfilled. And I need to focus on this today, starting to look for other people. And when I'm looking for other people, I want someone that wants to do this, not just someone that's looking for a job or a paycheck, but is invested in the growth of the business and they want to do the work that I'm doing. And that's kind of hard to find because you'll never usually find someone that's more invested in your business than you are, but you want someone that has that kind of same passion, same drive, uh, some of the same ideas that you want so that when you are asking them to be like, Hey, can you sand this today? And they're, they're fired up about it because they know that they're adding uh, their own flair and they're also adding to the project. They're not just a person in a larger company. They're like an investment. You want them there because they're helping you. We've talked a lot already about community and how you're really dialed into your local community, your local woodworking furniture community. Maybe you're not ready to hire a full-time employee and maybe another company isn't ready to either hire their own full-time employee or more employees. And and you're both in this gray space. Have you ever thought about hiring an employee where part-time with you, part-time with somebody else as a, a way to break the ice? I haven't, 
that seems actually like a pretty stellar idea. Uh, I haven't really looked at that aspect. The only other aspects I have is like other furniture makers that are kind of, I wouldn't say smaller than me, but they're doing it only part-time as a hobby or whatever. And they're looking to do a little bit of extra work or they're trying to grow their own business. And if I need certain things done in my business, like sanding, or I need a whole bunch of parts at this size, or I need all this rounded over stuff like that, like smaller tasks. Um, I have looked at like asking other smaller shops, like, Hey, can I basically like subcontract you? I'll have all these parts, but I just need them to do X, Y, Z to it and then give it back to me so that they get some experience with some larger stuff, but also get paid for it. And then I can outsource kind of some of the, the smaller jobs that I can't really do anymore or is taking away from my business. Uh, like one of them is my finishing of my tables. Like I said, I only have a small shop. It's 24 by 24. So it's a double car garage with a four by 10 and all this other machinery in there. So it's really hard to shut the whole shop down, to set up poly everywhere, to spray a table, to let it sit there for a couple of days to get all the finish done onto it and then try to continue to work in that. So I found a local finishing company that I just build the table and then they finish it. And that has really allowed me just to excel my business because I can continue building and then deliver it to them so they can finish it and then continue to build. I don't need to kind of like shut everything down. So that's one aspect as I'm kind of looking at is seeing like, but basically just a subcontract to make that simpler. Basically what you were doing when you started out, when you were going to other shops and saying, can I take on some of your smaller work? Now you've progressed to that point where you are that larger shop and you have work that you can sub out to other people. So it it's come full circle. That it has. It's kind of like the circle of life in the woodworking industry. <laughs> When you started, you were relatively young for this industry. There's people who are coming up and looking to start their own business, younger people. They can ask people who have a lot of experience in the industry, you know, 30, 40 years, but their experience, those people's experience and how they came up and started their business and grew their business is a lot different than, say, somebody like you. So... If somebody who was younger asked you, they said, I want to start my own business, what would you say to them as a path to take at this point? Yeah, that's a great question, Ethan. Uh, I do get that question quite often as like, I am, I would consider myself young to be in the industry too. And I don't have all the knowledge that those guys and gals that have like those 40 plus years of experience have. But one thing I have learned is I wouldn't say starting at the bottom, but instead of like going from high school and going straight into like business school, I kind of went the opposite route and kind of wanted to learn the business coming up through the ropes. Uh, so instead of going from high school, going to business and then trying to start a business, but not knowing anything other than school, I went straight into the trades and kind of learned how to build my business from the ground up, seeing other businesses, working in other businesses. And I think that some younger than me and people coming out of high school and don't know what to do with their, like their next portion of their life uh, is if you are thinking about something or you don't know what you want to do, look at the trades. Uh, like I've said throughout this, this episode is there is a lot of, there's going to be a big gap in that kind of blue collar work, I would say, but the trades, the things that people that go out and build stuff every day or repair things, 
there's a lot of people retiring, but not enough people coming in. And so if you go into a trade now, and even if you don't like it, it's only four years of your life, the same as going to get like a bachelor or go to university, but you get paid for it. You get to learn some very valuable life skills along the way. And if you ever decide to go do something else, you have that to fall back on that. If during university, if you decide to go that route, it's like, Hey, I can go and build houses during the summer or I can go and frame, or I know how to build this small stuff in my shop that I can sell to kind of offset those costs. And I really think that it is a viable option that more people are now considering and that I want to kind of get out there is the trades are, aren't just a secondary option for people coming out of high school or like if you didn't pass high school or you don't get into university, you don't have to go to university to make a very successful career out of your life. You can have a trade and be very profitable and have a very successful life and a very fulfilling one working with your hands. Along this whole conversation, you've been sharing advice, but I'm going to ask you again for somebody who's starting out in this industry or somebody who's been doing it for, like we said, 30, 40 years and and they have a good footing, but want to do better. As somebody coming up in the industry now, what's some advice that that you could share with people who are looking to be successful in today's furniture business? Listen and observe from the community around you. There's good information can really come from anyone, anytime, any place. So the more that you interact with the community and you put yourself out there and you start talking to other people, you may learn new techniques. You may learn new stuff, find new business partners, new networks, uh, and possibly even new clients. But I always just think that you should be out there talking with people, showing people what you can do and kind of trying to give back to the community. You kind of get what you give. So if you give a lot to the community, hopefully you'll receive a lot from the community. And if you can talk with them and get your message out there and just learn from the people around you, you can really grow your business, I think, faster than if you just try to push through it by yourself. Great advice. And I really do appreciate you sharing it with everybody listening. And And I appreciate your time and you sitting down and sharing your story with me. So thank you for that. And I wish you nothing but success in the future of your business. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks for sitting down with me. I really appreciate what you do for the community and being able to share my story and my beginnings with you and the rest of the community is uh, really, truly an honor. So thank you for that. And I hope you keep up the good work. So I'll be listening. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.